Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us again today for another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to like to do that in a world of sports, of music, of comedy, of books, and the like. And uh, today, I'm really excited. Some of you would know that, uh, we had Brant Hansen on quite a while ago. And in my day job, he came and did a breakfast for us several months ago with a gathering of the Miami Valley as we connect men to men and men to God. And he gave me a list quite a while ago of five people I needed to have on our podcast. And one of them was the one we're having today, Mike Donahue, who I thought, okay, that's going to be one of the hardest ones to pull off because Mike's not dying to be on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. He's in the midst of transitioning from 10th Avenue North, shutting down the doors and going on to the next stage of life and books and solo career and all that. And wouldn't you know it, God is good and Brant knows his relationships. And today we have on Mike Donahue. Welcome, Mike. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Nowhere else I'd rather be right now. Okay. Now, how many times have you said that before on other podcasts? Let's be honest. I, Come don't, on. I don't usually say that, actually. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, Although, fair enough, I am really trying to work on what Elizabeth Elliott said. She said, wherever you are, uh, be all there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to let that always be the case wherever I am. But So I'm very ad lib here. Let's We got a script, but I like to go ad lib. So while we talk about that, when you know, one of the things I think most people think of when they think of bands who have been big, and you you obviously did great stuff with Tenth Avenue North, and, and you know had great platform, played arenas, all that stuff. There's that tendency to say like tonight, this crowd in Dayton, Ohio, in Columbus, in Cincinnati, in Indianapolis, Nashville, wherever, you're the best crowd of the tour. You're. Did you guys buy into that much? Kind of that. Okay, tell these guys whatever or. If you said it, it was very genuine and you never said stuff like that anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I only said it when it really felt like they were the best crowd. Yeah. I, I think honestly, most musicians, they, they don't usually go out of their way to say that unless the crowd really is special. Yeah. And I, I think crowd, I think people at concerts being in a band has really helped me change the way that I attend shows mm -hmm. i used to think it doesn't matter what i'm doing but now having been on stage you realize how much you really are playing off what the crowd is giving you yeah. so you i used to just kind of stand with my hands in my pockets and just look at the stage because i go it doesn't matter what i'm doing and now i go oh no if the, if like the crowd's getting into it they're like the band members are getting into it you know so so what's funny is before we got on here, Angie, who uh, works here at Rise FM, made the comment and wanted to acknowledge about when you guys played back in, was that 2020, 2021, I guess, the the concert here for Rock the Lake uh, up at the uh, the fairgrounds here in Bell Fountain. And it was your 
like first show, only show for quite some time. When I think about musicians and what you guys had to do and very, you know, sports folks, teams playing in front of empty stadiums, you know, one of the places, and this is going to speak sadly to me, I guess, in my life a little bit, but when I think about the WWE, I don't know if you saw this all over COVID, but in pro wrestling, they had these screens set up all over the arena in Orlando, and they would have fans' faces showing live, but you're playing to a bunch of screens. Can you imagine being a pro wrestler when you're telling a story, you're playing off fans like you said. I thought if anybody – who had it tougher than pro wrestlers trying to play off fans on a screen? Did you see that at any point and notice that they heard about them having to do that? I saw some of those. I didn't see the pro wrestlers doing it. That that adds to an already comical situation, in my opinion. <laughs> I was going to say, you and I bonded offline on a number of things. I'm going to guess the WWE or AEW or something like that is not going to be one of them, but that speaks more badly about me than it does you. Man, when I was seven years old, I was in, you know, Ultimate Warrior, bro. He had those little dangly things hanging. So you his- you want to hear something funny about that? His second yeah. pro match ever, Nashville, Tennessee, Memorial Coliseum. No, what? Yeah, I think it was. I was there. He was known as. Let's go. He was known as was it Rock? Him and Sting were the Freedom Fighters. Total cheesy characters, but they were. I was like those. I was with my grandfather, who I, was my idol at the time, and I'm like. These guys are freaking huge. Rock and awesome. I think he maybe maybe Sting was already called Sting, but it was not. So we'll get off of that. I could stay there for a while and you don't want that. And you did not sign up for that. And I'm not paying you for you to have to suffer through my WWE career or whatever. But uh, Mike, we always start off with a three minute testimony. And yours obviously has some significance uh, based on a crazy accident you had uh, in your life. So give us your three minute testimony and talk about that and how you kind of transitioned into music ultimately through that. Yeah. You know, I say a lot of people have a Saul to Paul kind of conversion. I actually had more of a Peter, the disciple kind of conversion Mm. where Saul to Paul is all at once. Boom. I was this way. Now I'm this way. Total change all at once where I felt like mine was more of a process And the three stages of my conversion, I like to think of when God became my savior, when he became my Lord, and when he became my treasure. And for some people, that all happens at the same time. For me, I was five years old, and they said, Jesus will take your spankings for you. I was like, sign me up, because I was getting spanked a lot. Uh, So it was an easy thing to go, yes, I need a savior. I'm a bad kid, and I need saving. Um, But... God didn't really come my Lord until about 17. And it's kind of crazy because I went to this theater, uh, month-long theater program over the summer and really had this dramatic shift where uh, I was just put in this place with a bunch of kids who all believe differently. And it was the first time that I went, do I believe this? And I found this group of kids. We'd pray every morning. And I just felt the shifting happening in my heart where I started to go, you know what, God? Your commands, I I believe it. I believe that your commands are actually for my good, not mm. to ruin my good time. So the summer, right before my senior year, I felt like he was starting to become my Lord. And then when I got back to school, I got in a fatal car accident driving to school with my buddy. I say fatal because my heart actually, you know, Damar Hamlin, that all just happened. And I was, I was feeling a lot because when they found me on the ground after our car accident, the paramedics, they had to 
resuscitate my heart. And then they had to restore my heartbeat two more times in the ambulance. So I can feel that, you know, and that really woke me up. I'd already started this process of God becoming my Lord. And I was like, wow, I'm only alive because he wants me to be alive. What, what am I supposed to do with this one life he's given me? And while I was laying on my back, cause I'd broken my back in two places. That was the first time I asked for one of these. Cause I was just bored in the hospital, just waiting for the my getter. back to heal. So I, I asked for a guitar and then through that winter I started playing. And when I got to college the next year, I thought I was going to do theater. You know, I'd done that theater arts thing and God just started opening all these doors for music. And through that is when I started to really experience God's presence. And my freshman year of college, I say is really when God became my treasure that I started to realize, oh man, God's presence is better than everything else. And so save your Lord treasure in that order. You know, you shared that, I believe on the, you were, when you were on uh, Ryan Stevenson's podcast, I think it was. And uh, oh, I've, yeah. I've been using that line and that, that kind of three pronged approach to our relationship with Jesus within my gathering circles. And it's amazing how much people have clicked with you saying that, because I think save your Lord cool. to me, you know, non-Christian Christian, save your Lord. I don't know. I feel like there's something a little lost in that, that treasure really takes it to maturity. Like you said, desiring God's presence, intimacy, really living in scripture. You know, we today, me and some of the guys were looking at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. And I think, you know, richly dwelling in Christ, that's, that's treasure stuff. That's kind of beyond it. Not to disrespect Lord terminology, but you've been very helpful well, in that. What are you, what are we saved from? Okay. We're saved from idolatry. That, that is our greatest sin. That, that is the sin under all the sins. And what is idolatry? That's a big Bible word. It just means placing distorted value on the wrong things, right? Idolatry is taking God's good things that he's given us and making them the ultimate thing instead of him. Mm. And so saying God's a treasure is just the reorientation yeah. of the proper value structure, you know? That's great. So you mentioned DeMar Hamlin. That is interesting. I hadn't even thought about your accident and where you could really feel something for him in that. When you, I don't know if you saw it live. I happened to see it that night. What, what have you thought about kind of our response as people, the sports world? You know, obviously the Dan Orlovsky prayer point on NFL Live was yeah. incredibly received very well. What have, you, what have your thoughts been uh, since that moment of DeMar Hamlin and how we've kind of responded as sports fans, as people, as the body of Christ, as yeah. people who are cynical, you know, whatever that may be. Well, it's really fascinating. I've gotten involved with this organization called professional athletes outreach. And so I, I just weirdly happened to know a bunch of NFL players and I know one of the guys on the bills and he was just telling me, well, his wife was telling my wife just how that team has been wrecked by God. Even if you saw Josh Allen, he mm. did a press conference after the game, their game against the Patriots, and he was talking about the kickoff return, and he's crying. And he's saying, I've never seen anything like it. I was walking up and down the sideline just telling all the guys, God is real. God is real. And so it's pretty cool. Just, I just love seeing how God persists on just showing us our need for him. And I was really kind of amazed honestly at the compassion 
and the call to prayer. And I, I really think it's a testament to as much as we want to say we don't need God and whatever spirituality, it's just amazing when we're in crisis, our deep longing, it's deep calls to deep, yeah. right? As the psalmist says. And so when you see something beyond your ability to fix, what do you do? It's like you call out to God. So I think God, as he does, he uses broken things um, to bring about his redemption. Well, and I don't know if you saw the Buffalo Bills do some kind of local last week's game, this week's game coming up, kind of, you know, local show. And he was on there. It was either in October or December. I forgot when it was. And, you know, you could tell, okay, this guy knows Jesus. Um, and it wasn't overly bold, but it was definitely like uh, DeMar Hamlin knows the Lord. And just the timing of that, him being 24. I mean, there were so many ways. I hate to overstate it, but I, I've equated to people. It reminds me of September 11th a little bit. I mean, uh, obviously that was on a mass, mass, mass scale. But hey, in America, if we love anything, we love sports. And uh, it's been neat to see kind of the response. And I was curious. I hadn't even thought about the heart connects with you, but that had to be something else for you to witness and experience. So l- let me let me stay in that heart connection. So, you know, Mike, I think if there's one thing that that a lot of people could speak to about you is you just have this easy heart connection. Like, I can't imagine I'm I'm the only person. I'm sure plenty of people are like, man, I just feel a connection to you. And I, I think part of it is you seem very self aware. Um, I think your views of the gospel. You know, I'm, I'm super excited about your new book coming out, uh, Gray and the Grace. You know, I think you probably get that a lot where people just say, man, I really feel a connection to you. Is that true? Oh. And why do you think that is? Why do people connect? Tell us through your eyes why people connect with you so well. Well, you know, I've been doing it for this this book. I've, oh, just happened to have it sitting here on my piano. You need to make it bigger. It looks really uh, small right there. I was doing a lot of these Zoom interviews lately to promote the book, and my book agent sent an email. I was like, hey, I've been watching them. Could you... Could you make sure the book is visible in the background? Um, although it's a little, how do you expect them to be able to learn to read if they can't even fit in the building? Um, sorry, that's a Zoolander reference. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, something people keep saying as I'm doing these interviews is, uh, man, I just appreciate your vulnerability. And quite honestly, I don't ever feel like I'm more vulnerable than the next person. Uh, but I, I can say I've been working really hard and my wife has really helped me with this is when I receive criticism and disagreement to really do my best to avoid the polarity of defeated or defensive. And, uh, I think the gospel is actually the cure for both of those positions. Mm -hmm. If we're constantly defensive, when we did something wrong, it's like, Wait, didn't you, when you signed up for Christianity, didn't you say, I was so wrong that I needed divine intervention? So why are you befuddled when you find out that you failed or that you're a sinner? Like that should come as no surprise. Um, And then at the same time, my sinfulness never defeats me because though I am so bad, I needed divine intervention. I am so loved that God was glad to give me his intervention. And ultimately, when I'm defeated, Christ is my victory. So I think, I hope, as I become less defensive and less defeated, people go, I can hang out with him. I can even tell him the Mm -hmm. truth about what I feel because I know 
he isn't going to lose his mind. And what really kind of is eye-opening to me is how many times Proverbs says, a wise man loves correction. A wise man loves rebuke. A wise man loves to be told where he's wrong. And a foolish man hates it. And so my hope is that when people are around me, they sense a desire to find out how I've got it wrong. Mm. And I I don't think that curiosity comes naturally to a lot of people, well, I guess. You know, it's interesting, Light, of what we're talking about and some of the stuff we've talked about before. I was off work last week and two books I kind of dove into. I haven't finished either one because I was taking them both deeply in that I think you'll really like is Bono's new book, Surrender. And oh, I've been meaning to read that. Yeah. Wow. What I like about it is because he's talking about 40 songs in there. You can kind of pick up where you want. I would pick certain songs because I like them or I knew the message might be better in that particular chapter. And also Keller's new book, Forgive. And yeah, it's one you got to go slow through because there's so much there. And he's hitting things at some different angles than I maybe expected. But uh, I, you, it's a slow book to go through. But yeah, I think based on conversations we've already had, you would like both of those uh dude when keller says and forgive he says in matthew jesus says if you have an offense against your brother go to him and then later he says if your brother has an offense against you go to him yeah and that the impotence of reconciliation always that responsibility always falls on us yeah i said dude Get out of my business, Tim Keller. You know what you'll love about that? So I was a part of a thing through a men's tie at a church years ago called Men's Fraternity. And a guy who was leading the time, it's a great, you know, ministry program thing from uh, uh, Robert Lewis. And he said, dads, if you've done anything in your history or your life to uh, sin against your sons, which inevitably we all have, you need to go to them and ask forgiveness. Then he paused and he goes, sons, you need to assume your dad's never going to do it you need to go to your dad. And I'm like, whoa, responsibility is on everybody. Yeah. So here, here's what's funny about that. So when I when I talk about people, I think responded well to you, I'm going to give you a moment in time when I realize this about you, that people love Mike Donahue. And this is probably going to throw you for a loop. I, I went to the Kayla Fan Awards a number of years ago. I think it was the year after I was there. It was the year before I was there. You did a game show and you wore this crazy sweater and you had, I forgot who all was under, the Chapmans. I think, I think you had Stephen Curtis and Mary Beth. You had, I don't remember who else you had. I had Kirk Cameron, who wouldn't answer well, one question. Yes, I know it, and that's, that's exactly where I'm going. You talked a little bit about a question we're going to get to in a little bit, like a celebrity crush type of question. And you went kind of long. I don't know how long you were supposed to go, but you definitely seemed like you went long and you pushed the envelope on some questions. And I remember my friends were texting. We were, te- they were there. I wasn't. And I'm texting them. We were like, so what's this like live right now? And they go, it's kind of awkward. <laughs> and I thought only Mike Donahue could get away with this because people love you. And there has to be uh, grace with. Well, that's all, that's a, you're hitting. I, when I think back on the greatest blunders of my professional career, it was not realizing I needed to cut that short because <laughs> I had I had screened all the questions with the producer of the show, who is a buddy of mine. And he's like, yeah, this is great. I go, it's not going to be too long. He goes, no, 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 it should be fine. <laughs> and we got into it and Kirk Cameron wouldn't answer the question. So we were just stuck. Yeah. I'm like, just answer the question, Kirk Cameron. Yeah. Who but, else was on yeah. that? It was, it was 
Kirk and, and uh, whatever, I forget, blank on his wife. It uh, was Tim and Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Yep. Were there three couples though? It was, it was Stephen Mary and Beth and Stephen yeah. Chapman. Yeah, yeah. And, and Kurt and his wife, Charity. Okay. I think that's her name. Charity Noble. Yep. Or Chelsea. Chelsea Noble. There you go. Yeah. Oh, uh, that was, but you know what? I, I knew, and, we, and my friends were texting me back about it. We're like, people just love Mike Donnie. No, he, he's not going to get anything about this. Like, people love him. <laughs> he gets a pass. I, I saw Louis Giglio afterward, and he was looking at me like this, like, I just, he just kept saying, I just didn't know. Like, didn't know what? It's like, I didn't know. Okay. I don't know. I never got asked back to passion after that. So I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Well, let's get to some 10th Avenue North stuff. So I I mentioned to you, there's probably, and I probably feel like I should raise this number six to eight, maybe as many as 10 songs that have ministered to me on a deep, deep heart level. I mean, I'm like songs that have brought me to tears. You know, we we have treated for a while, a number of years ago. No Man is an Island was kind of like a theme song for our ministry. Yeah. Um, Control. Um, you Are More is probably one of the most encouraging songs of my wife after she came to Christ. That song meant a lot to her for a couple of years. What is that like when people feel that? Because there's no way it's just me. I mean, I know people that love your music and love your heart, song lyrics. We had, I'll tell you a story. So you played at Hobart Arena in Troy. A number of years ago, I think you guys opened up for Third Day. And there were three artists. There was some solo up there with the guitar. That's it. They're just them. You guys come out and play. And then uh, Third Day. And we had about 30 people at that concert. We went to dinner beforehand. We were at this one restaurant. Some people got there a little bit later because dinner took long. Some other people got there on time. Some people, you know, whatever. It's kind of a weird flow of our night. And one couple that was there is a guy I'm super close to. And this was a number of years ago, and he's not where he was then spiritually. He's grown a lot. Ditto his wife. His wife was not really much anywhere with the Lord. And they had to leave the concert before third day came out because your lyrics were speaking way too much to her heart. She couldn't deal with it. I mean, it was it was Holy Spirit saying, Pierce, cut to the quick, cut to the bone and marrow. She couldn't handle it. She had to leave. He's apologetic. We're like, dude, you got to love your wife. Go. We'll talk about it later. You are totally 100% cool with us. She couldn't handle your lyrics. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I think that's awesome. Uh, I've never heard that. Uh, I love it. You know, the cool the coolest story I ever remember is we were doing Winter Jam. And about eight months later, we were doing our own tour. And we had some guys from Teen Challenge who mm. were loading in. And this guy's pushing a case and he goes, Hey man, I go, Hey, what's up? He goes, Hey, just want you to know I was at winter jam eight months ago and I just shot up heroin in the bathroom because my buddy dragged me to the concert. I didn't want to be there. And I walked out of the bathroom and you were on stage singing this song. You are more. And I knew it was the Holy spirit and I got enrolled in teen challenge the next day. Here I am. And I've gotten, I'm eight months clean since that concert. And here I am pushing your case for you. And I was like, those are the moments you go, man, it's, it's, uh, any power to change someone's heart. You're just constantly aware of how much that isn't your ability to do it, you know? And cause I could play the same song for someone 10 times. And then yep. that 11th time, like you're saying, I can't even hear this or I have to change. And it's just, uh, it's humbling when you sense God's use 
your I want to say kerfuffling. You're uh, you're just honestly almost all my songs is very like in Corinthians. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit comforts us in our distress, and so that we're able to comfort others in theirs. And a lot of times, songs just people go, I, you wrote that song for me. I go, no, I didn't. I wrote it for myself. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I'm glad God used it for you too. That's great. Well, and I think what's so cool about that is I love your testimony. And I, you, you've got a video out there about it. I've heard you share it in concert, but the whole idea that you had that moment a number of years ago, early on, I think, where you, you were you know, praying like you guys did, like, Lord, use us, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, the Lord said, well, what if I don't want to use you? What if I want to work and I don't even use you guys? And you had to do some business with the Lord on that. And I think, I wonder how much God hasn't really used you guys because of that. I mean, I'll be honest and say in a vulnerable sense, one of your new songs that's really impacted me when I, when I struggle thinking about my marriage could be better or I've blown it in an area or my wife's not filling it with me about something better. And I think it's partly because Kelly yeah. sings on that. That song will minister to me and bring me to tears like, all right, God, you're going to use that song. There's other songs, but better really is a go-to, I'm blowing it with Kara, or I need you to speak, Lord, or she's totally wrong on something, I'm totally right. What's her problem? She needs to figure it out. I go to better. Yeah, man. That that was a cool moment. I was driving in the car and just middle of the pandemic. I mean, everything was hard. I remember just asking the Holy Spirit, hey, when is this going to get easy? And I felt like he said, maybe it won't. Yeah. But just because it doesn't get easy doesn't mean it won't get better. Yep. And that almost all the greatest things in our lives are very hard. So why do we expect, like, why do we expect marriage is good if it's easy? Yeah. Nothing worth having is easy. Well, see, one of the things you've talked a lot about over time, a podcast stage, whatever, is, is, and I know it's not always served you well musically, is you don't tie everything up in a bow. Uh, my wife thinks every movie is supposed to have this ending that's very clear cut. And, you know, uh, there's a movie with um, Bill Murray, him and Scarlett Johansson, where it just kind of ended. And, you know, the movie with uh, Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston, I forgot, not the breakup, I forgot what it's called, but it just kind of ended. And you didn't know, okay, where do they go from here? Yeah. I'm like, I love that because then it leaves it up to us to figure it out. And that's how a lot of things, we, you know, we want this nice, tidy, hallmark ending to everything. And Christendom, it just doesn't work like that all the time. And, and I love how you have been one to not be afraid to step right. into that. Well, it's both, right? You know, Frederick Beekner talked about the gospel being like a fairy tale. There is something in our hearts that senses, no, 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 it's it's all going to be made right at the end. Like what Dostoevsky says in the Brothers Karamazov, like, I believe like a child that in the world's finale, you know, something so beautiful is going to come to pass that it will suffice for all of this. Like it will, it, he says, it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Like that, that is in the heart. I think you know, you've set eternity in men's hearts. So that desire for this beautiful little bow tied up ending, I actually think that is the spirit telling us what is ultimately going to be true. But you have several Psalms that don't resolve. In fact, the Psalms are divided into three categories by, by theologians. They say there's Psalms of praise, which is everything is awesome. There's Psalms of thanksgiving, which is everything wasn't awesome. But then you came through. Now everything is awesome again. And then there's Psalms of Lament, which is life is not awesome. Is it ever going to be awesome? And there's actually more Lament Psalms mm. 
than any other song. Yeah. And I remember we had our song Warren. We wrote Warren and love it. We put it out. And at that point, 10th Avenue North had been really successful. Every radio single had just crushed it. And so we're just, we, we're so young and dumb. We're just like, yeah, every song we put out, of course it's going to go number one. Isn't that just what happens? Like totally didn't realize what a gift it was to have that much attention and, or curse, I guess you could say, (laughs) but uh, we put out Warren and there were several big radio stations who wouldn't play it. And they said, what we need you to do mm-hmm. is we need you to go back and re-record the ending. Cause we love the song. We just need the last chorus to say, and now I know redemption wins. And now I know the struggle ends. You will mend my heart. My heart is mended where it was, was worn, you know? And I said, uh, I, no, I can't do that. And they said, why not? I go, because I live on planet earth mm. and and this, and this, I think, is the distinction of what we're getting at. There's a big difference between saying, I believe in a God who resolves things, and I believe in a God who redeems things. Mm. Because redemption doesn't always equate to resolution. Wow. So so much to just pick apart with that. I want I want to move towards... Um, you had a post on social media and you and I talked and you were telling me about uh, this tour. You just went with Mac Powell. And I think it was, was it Josh Baldwin or somebody? Josh Baldwin, Josh Baldwin and David Leonard. Yeah. Yeah. And it just kind of, it feels like God really revealed a lot to you and a lot of things in your heart kind of had a holy frustration, but some satisfaction and just fulfillment that came from that and kind of new stage of life with you with putting out music and shows and just a, a, an authenticity there. And you had this po- and you got the new house show things starting out where you're going to dive in and show up at people's homes and eat and cook out and play music and all that. But you said something about for so many, it sounded like for a lot of your life, you've chased wider when you should have been chasing deeper Unpackage that kind of smorgasbord I just gave you. Yeah. Our culture celebrates notoriety more than nuance and like deep change. Right. So we rate how well we're doing based on how popular it is. Uh, Not on the depth of experience with the ones who hear it. And that's always a tension as a songwriter, because quite frankly, in order to have a professional career, you need some level of widespread popularity in order for people to pay attention to your art. But that tour just kind of reminded me, I've done that thing, like chasing how many fans can we get? How many people can we get listening to our music? And you just end up like a hamster on a wheel. Like you just, any success you have, you go, well, now we got to, we got to duplicate it. We got to replicate it. And it's like, can you write another song like that? And there's such a relief that comes when you go, you know what? What about instead of trying to gain new fans, I just try to serve the ones that I already have. I was on tour with Big Daddy Weave and this girl, Katie Nicole, you know, she's, she's had a really great year. You had her on your her podcast. Song, yeah. Her song had just come out in Jesus name. Oh, that's right. I did interview her. And I remember we're sitting there in um, this Q and a, and this little, this, you know, teenage girl goes, Katie, how did you get big on TikTok? How'd you do it? You know? So Katie's kind of answering blah, blah, blah. And I like, she finishes any, you guys want to say anything? I go, I, I'd like to ask a question. I said, what do you want to say? I said, 
Julie or whatever her name was. I said, Hey, how many followers do you have on TikTok? You know, she goes, I only have 324. And I said, 324 followers? She goes, yeah. I go, you are crushing Jesus. Way to go. Mm. Jesus had 12. You are destroying Jesus at the influence game. And I said, what would happen if you just stopped trying to get new followers and you just started trying to serve those 324? That is already more people than you could probably even keep up with. Yeah. Mm. That's the thing. God's actually given us overwhelming opportunity to help people and have an incredible life. But social media has kind of taught us and, and fame really has taught us it would be better for me to influence as many people at once as I can. And yet, I mean, you just see how many people that are social media famous who still struggle with anxiety, who still struggle with depression. And it's those ones who have that face-to-face encounter who are discipling one person at a time that I've met, they seem to be the most fulfilled. And it's almost like God's, like he's just rigged the system where he's not going to let us get away with thinking we're him. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm the one saving people. I'm letting you in on it. So just be grateful that you get to play a part, you know? You know, it's so cool about that. A couple of things I've, I've kind of newer getting connected to the chosen and I've been really blown away in the chosen, how much Jesus really focuses on the one. Like there'd be crowds, you know, the moment when he calls Matthew and he's kind of walking by and he pauses and he looks back and Matthew quickly leaves. There's a book out by Kyle Eidelman, who's senior pastor at Southeast Christian down in Louisville. And it's called One at a Time. And he really looks at a lot of different aspects of life kind of from a one at a time perspective. And, you know, he preaches at one of the 10 largest churches, I think still in the U.S. I've got to know a number of people there. I have a couple of friends on staff there and he said when he starts to write any sermon, and he's going to be speaking to thousands and thousands of people, he writes at the top right corner two or three names of people that he wants to get this sermon. So he's always keeping a focus on That's a couple. Cool. You know, I heard That's a line cool. once not long ago within the last few years that what did Jesus do the closer he got to the cross? He spent time with less people, not more. And I'm like, assuming that's true, which I have no reason to think it's not. Wow. I think that's right. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. He spent time with less people, not more. So I loved you. I loved when I saw that thing you said well, about chasing. You know, what's deeper. fascinating too, is I, that's some, that's my little thing. I like to say to fellow artists, cause I was on tour and someone said, man, don't you just love how God used these songs? It's like five loaves and two fish. You know, you just bring this little meager offering and God uses it and blows away. I said, yes, sometimes. Mm. I said, what do you mean sometimes? I said, well, sometimes it looks like a year's worth of effort, a year's worth of perfume. And all it's meant for is to be poured out on Jesus' feet. Yeah. And the sacrifice is the gift that we get to bring. And the multiplication is up to him, you know, and I say that because that story of her pouring the perfume, someone was telling me that was just days before Jesus was crucified. So Jesus would have been smelling that perfume from his feet while he hung there. Wow. Well, if he thought about every one of us on the cross, I clearly he thought about her probably a little bit more. If he's smelling a perfume still, wow, that's pretty incredible. I didn't know that. So, hey, you you talked about the timing of songwriting. Can I, and- can I, uh, can I interrupt? That Matthew West song, 
would it would it have been better if he had said with us on your mind mm. than me on your mind because yes i was on his mind but the biblical call i just wish maybe it wrapped up like at the end of that song like he he said like with and it was actually all of us on your mind because mm. like that individualism isn't actually like in the new testament letters it's always to a group mm. like the you is plural in the greek almost always and we've kind of re- like hijacked that to think like my relationship with jesus is just me and him when actually we're kind of called to community and unity and a body um anyway well that goes back to that colossians 3 thing i was just talking about from today that you know christ richly dwelling in you or you richly dwelling in christ and in a word but it quickly brings in the one another in the same verse so it's clearly meant for more than just us so i'm curious you mentioned about timing of a song and whatever you you acknowledged on social media yesterday that you finished a song that was epic brought you to tears you were commenting about it late 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 and you said you started writing it when you were 17 i think no, 17 years ago. Yeah. So I was on a trip to India and um, I wrote this this like really simple worship song. We always tried to wor- like use it in worship and it just never, it never came out right. I'm going to play a little bit. Oh man, sneak peek. I like it. Maybe I'm, pro- I'm not supposed to do this probably. <laughs> I was wondering. Low five. What was this? Anyway, that's all I'll give you. But it's cool just... I, it just brought me to tears. It was the song that we always meant to put on a record and then it just it like didn't fit or whatever. And like, I've always felt like this song is supposed to be, cause when we were independent before we were signed, mm-hmm. that was like our hit song. We would play it uh, when we'd go around to youth camps and stuff and everyone would ask for that song. And then when we got signed, it was like right before the whole, it's very just a, like a real simple worship song. And we kind of came out right like before the sort of big church worship movement yep. thing that's happening now. And anyway, but it just brought me to tears like going, gosh, God, how good are you that you even will use something that I've been sitting on for 17 years? I wrote it on a mountaintop in India. We were doing a vacation Bible school with this like, 200 of these orphans from the local village. And so there's a part that says the children lift up their hands because they were singing these little songs in Tamil and kept lifting their hands. And anyway, well, as you played them, as you played the music to that, I could clearly picture in my mind, like people worshiping and holding up their hands as they do it. And just even your look on your face and your kind of vibe as you were doing it, you could tell there was a a real co-labor you and the Lord together, which I think that's part of what is so special about your music 10th or Mike on your own is you clearly have some time with the Lord where this is coming out of. This is not just, Hey, let's go write a song. It's coming from a deep place. You and Jesus, at least I think maybe give a quick response to that. 
I have four daughters now, so I feel like I don't have time for anything, including the Lord. And the the challenge lately has been, how do I see God in the chaos of raising four daughters? You know, mm-hmm. and and honestly, part of what uh, the the main part of why Tenth Avenue North retired. I actually I say retired because breaking up would be uh yeah, it misdirecting just a, it was the next stage it, it, yeah it, we did we didn't break we didn't break up everyone said hey i i don't want to be on the road anymore i want to be with my family my we're all growing these families and if we try to keep this thing going it's gonna interrupt it's gonna do damage to our families and we always say we're never gonna let we're never gonna sacrifice our families on the altar of ministry mm. Because let's be honest, I get way more applause for showing up for a concert yeah. than I do for putting my four girls to bed every night. Yeah. So my challenge has been like saying no to opportunities that I know would feel so good for my ego. And and yet I'm in a stage where I have to see God's presence in bedtime. Yeah. And yeah, still working on it. That's beautiful. All right, Mike, so we're going to close out this time with uh, what I love, and it's our every time we talk rapid five questions. They're a little silly, a little goofy, but it gets us kind of going sideways and having some fun. So not that you know anything about being goofy or getting sideways. I think one of the bad things about you not being with Tenth anymore is, and in fact, you guys are done. Well, you still do. What song was it you did? It wasn't the struggle. It was where you did your little shimmy shake crazy dance moves and you went nuts vibing to your left vibing to your what was that what song was that told, uh losing losing oh yeah will you figure out a way to dance like that on a solo career with you and a guitar already done it my man <laughs> well i'm back in i'm gonna add to the 151 plus people that are trying to get you at house show because to see you do that at somebody's house or out by a pool like ryan stevenson did let's see <laughs> i do it while i cook i get an apron on oh. i cook and i play guitar and i dance you were probably like a madman doing that with those crepes and doing it before the World Cup final, right? Oh yeah. Your so daughters good. knew they have no clue what got into their dad. We were we were Argentina fans that morning, and so I kept telling everyone, "You got to make a messy on a crepe." <laughs> I just uh, started watching uh, All or Nothing Arsenal, so I'm kind of digging this you guys soccer. It's awesome. And my son tells me he's pretty stinking Football. awesome. So, okay, rapid five. What was your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Cracklin' Oat Bran. Whoa, really? It's delicious. I think I had it. last time you had it? Uh, it was a while ago. I don't think I liked it. Revisit that thing then, man. <laughs> I mean, it's top shelf, which so it's surprising that was my childhood favorite, but do they, I had fancy tastes. Do they still say, sell that? I don't even think I've seen it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they do. No, they do. Well, you know the best cereal that they seemingly never sell or it's priced way too high that people just don't buy it like they should is Smart Start. Did you ever like Smart Start? No. Get that out of here. (laughs) All right. So what is your favorite book you most want to gift to other people? Oh, that's a good question. You know what book I gifted out several times was Run With the Horses by Eugene Eugene Peterson. Yeah. That was Although Les Miserables is my favorite book of all time. So okay. I just, I mean, I just had an hour long conversation with a buddy because I posted about it because I got this tattoo from the original. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Art, artwork of the book. And uh, I, I like convinced him to read it. So 
So I'd say Run with the Horses, Les Miserables, or East of Eden. I've actually gifted a couple times. John Steinbeck, Steinbeck novel. Yeah. Okay. Is uh, Les Mis the book? I've never read it. Is it how how does it fit in light of the play? Well, you know, the book is first. Yeah. Usually it's better, they say. Yeah, I I think it's the greatest novel of all time. How many pages? Well, the abridged version. So the, the, we're now we're getting in the weeds here, but the abridged version is about 550 pages. And Victor Hugo actually released the unabridged version first, and then 20 years later uh, came out with a new unabridged version with all these essays and political things in there. And so the unabridged version actually is less the original story than the abridged version. So I always tell people, start with the abridged version, because the unabridged version takes some weird detours that you don't need. Wow, that's crazy. There's a stat out I saw one time that's like if a book is less than 200 pages, if it's 200 to 299, 300 to like by the time you get over like 400 pages, books just don't get read. Like you kill it. How, how long? How long's your new one? Gray in the Grace. Two. Grace in the gray. Grace in the gray. I'm I'm switching uh, around. Uh, okay. Uh, you know I don't know. Two forty. Here, hold on. Let's find out. <laughs> This podcast is starting to take on a little vibe like you and Matt Mars podcast, except we're not even. Oh, you mean? Oh, you mean this old thing? <laughs> See, we're it we're causing people to want to watch the video version of this. Two hundred and ten pages. Uh oh, I bet I bet Amazon is not going to say that because they are very. Oh yeah, Amazon says two hundred and forty. So there must be thirty blank pages they love in that. There, well, I guess there's notes. There's like the bibliography. Oh, yeah. Well, that's going to count because, you know, most books are like 208, 216, 224, 232, 240, 256. Listen, I don't know what they're doing over there. I have 213 in my. Well, you better you better start writing, man. You got some you got some space to fill. It sounds like lost lost 30 pages. I, don't know. I think you're going to add in there. Well, the one time I was on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, this happened and it'll make a great story. You could tell about my friend who uh, she had to leave a concert early because your lyrics were getting to her heart too much. I love it. All right. The Donahue ladies and you are cruising out of Nashville. You're going on vacation. You hit, you kind of plan out when you're going to stop and eat lunch. And then all of a sudden one of the girls has to go to the bathroom and you're like, oh, I'm not stopping again in another five or 10 minutes. And you're like, we're getting off here, bathroom, food, everything's happening. And at this exit sign, you see Chick-fil-A. In and out Burger, because I know you've traveled a lot. McDonald's. Ooh. McDonald's. Where are you going? Where do the Donahue's well, go? Well, simply because you can't have it that often. It would be in and out Yep. But that's only if you're driving out west. So it would really be Chick-fil-A or McDonald's here in the southeast. Well, and, we're, we're putting in and out there. I mean, keep it keep it with my equation. You, you don't get to edit my question. Yeah, well, in and out just because of the scarcity. I never get to have it. So... I'd get a triple, get the chopped chilies on it. Ooh, Ooh boy. Does Kelly like um, it? Has she had it? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But apparently my wife is sensitive to red meat, and one of my daughters is allergic. So Ooh. I guess we'd probably go Chick-fil-A. Wow. Okay. So, Mike, what's the movie that pulls you in every time? If you were to be flipping channels or switching around on streaming, you came across a movie a third of the way through, and you're like, we're sticking with that, what would it be? I have a definitive answer because this happened on the bus every weekend that we were ever a band someone would have the tv on and shawshank redemption would come on and wherever it was in the movie it would then you'd end up sitting down and you'd watch the rest of it every time so shawshank redemption 
And you know no that question. was taped about two hours away from us. Really? You can actually I didn't know visit. that. Yeah. I thought it was taped up in Maine. Nah, it's tied to Mansfield. So nice. When when Rise FM brings you in for a concert in Mansfield, boom, you get to go. Angie will treat you. Prison tours. Let's do it. That sounds good. All right. So we, we talked earlier about the Kayla Fan Awards. You hosting a game show. Who was Mike Donahue's first celebrity crush? Oh, right. I was trying, you know, it was probably my dad took me to see Top Gun when I was like six. Uh, so Kelly McGinnis, you know, that was probably it. I'm trying to think if there was another one. How old are you again, Mike? I'm 42. Man, you're young. Ironically, I had a huge crush on Jennifer Connolly as well. Wow. Who, She's quite a bit older, right? Well, yeah. Who is the the love interest in Top Gun Maverick? Oh, yeah, she is. Okay, I haven't so, seen it, but yeah. I was meant to be a fighter pilot, I guess. Uh, well, there's still time. I mean, you, you know, you were going into theater to be a big movie star, which my wife was glad to remind me about. And you ended up doing music and writing and uh, so on and so forth. So, well, Mike, you got to go. I hate to uh, end this thing. Uh, I think a part two is more than ready because we got to get into the book. Got a whole bunch of other stuff we got to talk about that we didn't. But, um, hey, I'm looking forward to more. I think hopefully down the road soon enough, we're going to have a little announcement to make about you getting in our neck of the woods, which would be great for a little fun. And, uh, yeah, just thanks for your graciousness with time and generosity. And glad Brant Hansen made the connection. You got him, my man. Have a great day, folks. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.